I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck as falls and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. Nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott. Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Hello there, it's Obi-John Kenobi, your favorite slightly hungover host in all of the podcastum, and welcome to your weekly Nerd Alert. Uh, at the time of this recording, it is still St. Patrick's Day. Uh, some of us may or may not have already hit the bar today. You can probably figure out which ones. We won't spoil it for you. But nonetheless, uh, welcome to your weekly Nerd Alert. Uh, before we jump into today's topic, which is a fun one, let me introduce to you the rest of the Nerd Alert crew. First of all, my right-hand man, the, the man who keeps the nerd and the top nerdy TV network, the man who may or may not have flashed his boobs at the bar today, Commander Scott. Yes, this is completely unconfirmed. There is no proof. <laughs> no photos were taken. No I was photos not were present taken. at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> real quick, I, I learned something interesting this week. Oh, yes. Um, the 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 uh, uh, the Bluetooth protocol, you know, the the short range radio frequency protocol that lets us connect things to things. Uh huh. Yeah. You know why it's called Bluetooth? Marketing. No. Oh, okay. It is not marketing. So, in 1996, Intel, Nokia, and Ericsson. We're all developing short-range radio technologies. They all got together at one point and said, why are we developing three? We should just do one. <clears throat> and so they teamed up together, and, and they started developing this protocol. Um, in the summer of 1997, um, uh, a man named Jim uh, Card- Kardash, Kardash, I'm, Kardash, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, uh, was working with Intel. He was on the project, and they were they were working. He he was reading a book, actually, of um, um, uh, a uh, Viking uh, Danish king named uh, Harold Gormson uh, from the tenth century, who had united um, uh, Norway and Denmark under under his rule for about thirty or forty years, and. Uh, his nickname, um, uh, I had it here a minute ago. His nickname in uh, in in Norwegian is uh, uh, Blonton or something like that. I, f- I forget what it actually is, but uh, it was it was Norwegian for Bluetooth because he had a, a bluish and decaying tooth. He was King Bluetooth, and so Jim Kardash thought, "Hey, this guy united Norway and Denmark." So we're trying to unite many technologies. So I will, uh, will, how about we name our new protocol after 
Danish king Harold Bluetooth Gormson from the 10th century. Um, and uh, if you look at his um, initials, H and G, in younger Funthark Viking runes and smush them together, you get the Bluetooth symbol. That is somehow an even nerdier answer than I thought it was going to be. Yep, named after a 10th century Danish Viking king. I mean, you had me at Viking. Uh, that's pretty badass, not going to lie. <laughs> but that is, I was like, this is sand for like some weird hyper-technical term and Bluetooth is easier to say. But no, that's nope. uh, Scott, that, I, that zigged where I thought it was going to zag. And uh, I'm cool with it. Thought you would like it. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. See, we're all smarter now because of Scott. Uh, I try. Now you can you can impress all your friends with telling them the true name behind Bluetooth. Yes, I'm going to put my uh, boots away now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and rounding out this ragtag crew, uh, this this half-ass A team, the B team, if you will. Um, You'll know him, you'll love him. He's joining us from somewhere in time and space, possibly via the DeLorean. Uh, he's a big fan of chicken. It's the Doc. Did you see the size of that goddamn chicken? Well, hold on a minute. That that sounds, uh, Jay? Hey, how's it going? Oh my god, he's here this week. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, buddy. Yeah, in case you were wondering, the middle school play went off without a hitch. Hey, anyone break a leg? Uh, no, but it did include a cameo from yours truly as a special guest. So you're saying after so many years, you, Jay, made your triumphant return to the stage? I did. I did. And as I wasn't there for it? I, mean, I, have a, I have a video, so I can send it to you at some point in time. Fucking better. That's going on the page. It's literally one line of me at the end of the play, but uh-huh. um, oh, your I, big I, line. Sorry, sorry, Jay. <clears throat> Thespian, act well your part. <laughs> my my big line. So the whole thing was I told you guys about it's like reality television, and they took fairy tales and whatnot. Well, anyway, the big thing is there's an, an intern, and it turns out the intern is a prince charming that's there to save the executive producer, but she's a strong woman and doesn't need to be saved. So she just kind of like pushes him to the side. Well, the, the big thing at the end is the executive producer actually did have a real intern. And um, the person that I was co-directing the play with wanted it to be a surprise for the kids in the play. So I was the quote unquote actual intern. And my line was, hi, I'm your new intern. I've always wanted a job in reality television. Nice. <laughs> and I, it was great. I wandered on stage looking around like I was lost. And then I had this like super excited smile on my face. And I was like, hi, I'm your new intern. It was great. I loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, unpracticed. I, would, I was never in any of the uh, rehearsals. You don't I, need to, man. You're an improv champ. Right? I did it cold. I just walked out on stage and I could hear the students that were backstage as I walked out go, What? It was hilarious. <laughs> well, good, man. I'm glad you had fun. And uh, look for that video on the Facebook page as soon as Jason sends it to me to share to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. 
Uh, so we are, uh, our powers combined, we are your weekly nerd alert, and this week we've got a doozy for you. So at the time of this recording, which is approximately 7.41pm Eastern Time, uh, the Snyder Cut is mere hours away from making its debut on HBO Max. Something I honestly never thought would happen. And if you don't believe me, listen to prior episodes of this show where you can hear me saying it's never going to happen. Um, Who I was wrong. It's happening. Uh, we haven't seen it yet, so I don't know if we're better off for having seen it or not. But uh, we're not actually going to talk about the Snyder Cut. Uh, however, the idea of the Snyder Cut triggered today's topic, which is... <clears throat> The pros and cons, the highs and lows, the ups and downs of alternate cuts of films. And today we're basically going to go around and talk about some of our favorite um, and maybe some least favorite versions of uh, alternate versions of movies you've already seen. Uh, Whether it's a director's cut, an extended cut, an alternate cut, an unrated version, uh, a fan edit, whatever. um, An alternate take on a film you've already seen. And then we'll get a little bit into uh, what I'm calling uh, (laughs) I see where they cut that or theatrical was better Uh, because there are a few of those out there too. So with that being said, uh, who wants to go first for your favorite alternate cut of a film? Well, I've been out for the last two weeks. I'd like to Uh kick us off also because I think I'm going to steal one from you. Probably, but if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's fine. We could do a whole show on it. So go ahead, Jay. Uh, any fans of the show know that Obi John and I are huge fans of a particular franchise. Um, it hasn't bode well for th- movies in that franchise lately, um, but we're hoping things can get turned around. So anytime I'm feeling down about this franchise, I like to put this in and watch it. Too Fast, uh, Too Furious director's cut? Yep, that's the one. That's I knew it. I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> I was gonna go Mary Poppins. That's just oh me. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so should be no surprise that what I'm talking about is Aliens Special Edition. Uh, yes, Aliens, directed by James Cameron, came out in 1986. The theatrical release of Aliens came in at a 100, a whopping 137 minutes which in itself is a pretty decently long movie. Uh, but it, it's you strap in for the action, and it you just go full bore. Well, not right away, but you get into the action, and you go full tilt alien action. The uh, special edition, which I put in quotes in my notes, comes in at 154 minutes. Uh, so they added 27 minutes worth of film. And it's called the special edition, but really it's the director's cut. And what I really love about it is James Cameron. James Cameron said himself that this version of the movie is like 40 miles of bad road. You're just kind of along for the ride. Uh Jay, I'm glad you brought this up because, and I'll send you a picture. Literally at the top of my list is aliens director's cut. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's it's one of those things like I, I remember watching Aliens for the first time and being like, oh my god, this is amazing. 
Uh, this is everything I ever wanted a movie to be and didn't know. Uh, it's aliens and space marines and future guns and tanks. And, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then I saw the director's cut a few years later, and it was one of those, like, the improved perfection. What? Because um, Cameron's whole thing is, <clears throat> and I learned this, you know, years later, um, when you're editing a movie down and trying to get the runtime to that magical two hour mark that the studios love because then they can fit in more screenings throughout the day, uh, the best way to do that is to cut an entire storyline. So, and it makes sense if you're going to just drop an entire storyline that usually gets you more screen time than, than just cutting a little bit here and a little bit there off of each scene. Um, at one point he even tried cutting frames out of scenes to try to shorten the length of it. And okay. How many frames Mac have to make it look like it's motion. Can we try that? Let trim enough time down. No, that looks weird. Okay. Let's not do that then. Um, so the entire subplot of Ripley having a daughter got cut from the theatrical release of the movie. And anyone who's seen the director's cut, it's just kind of mind-boggling to be like, wait, what? You cut that? Because it's so much of that character's uh, motivation for the rest of the film. Yeah. Which uh-huh. only says how amazing of a job Sigourney Weaver did that even with all those extra scenes introducing the idea of her having a daughter being cut, she still got the nomination for Best Actress that year. That's So I... I have a section of my notes that says extra scenes added. And the first one is Ripley's daughter. Yeah. Where you find out that she, I think, cause don't we find out in the first one that she had a daughter? Nope. There's no mention at all of her having a husband, a daughter, anything that's, that's uh, uh, the first movie does not talk about the home life at all. Okay. And anyway, anyway, so Ripley's daughter is, you know, she's brought up and then you have that whole scene and it's like, really moving and sad because it's like, Oh, it was her 12th. She was going to be home for her 11th or 12th birthday. And now she's dead. (laughs) So it's just very like, Oh, okay. Uh, nerdy tidbit. The photo you see of Ripley's daughter, um, is actually Sigourney Weaver's mother. So that was interesting. Um, but not only so I mean, that alone is enough of a like gut punch to be like, wow, they cut that because you know, <clears throat> having seen the director's cut and seeing how it plays out, you're like, no, that's a pivotal scene. I can't believe you cut that. Um, a scene I can see them cutting because I think the movie works okay without it, but I'm so glad we got to see it. Is that entire and it's a good 10 minutes of Newt's family, um finding and exploring the derelict spacecraft uh, that is completely cut from the theatrical version. <clears throat> We're told about it in dialogue later on, but I mean, it's, it's the, the number one rule of movies is always show, don't tell. And there's a good 10, 15 minute sequence of um, uh, Newt's family, her mom, her dad, her brother, herself uh, mm-hmm. driving out in like one of those giant six wheel rovers discovering the derelict spacecraft, walking in and, 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 you know, we see the mom and dad walk into it. We, the audience, know what they're walking into. Um, and then uh, we cut back to, you know, Ripley and her, or sorry, uh, Newton and her brother waiting for their parents to come back and uh, 
is it the dad i think has yeah. the face hugger attached to him yeah um and it's like it's a great scene uh i can understand cutting it because again it's information we get later on down the road but it it informs a lot of newt's character knowing that 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 it wasn't just a random group of people that went out to you know the company sent them out there to check these coordinates on the grid but it was specifically her family was sent out there like it it kind of it gives her performance and her character like a little extra i don't know like you know normally go to 10 but this goes to 11 kind of deal yeah yeah are you sure you don't have my notes with you? Because that was my next <laughs> extra scene added was the derelict. Well, then I'll let you tell us how amazing the sentry guns are, Jay. And that was down there was remote sentries. I think <laughs> uh, that scene, it adds so much. So, like, the reason I love this edition of Aliens is because there's more story to it. You understand things better. Why were the aliens in the ceiling? In the original, the theatrical version, you're like, oh, the aliens are in the ceiling because they're damn creepy and like that's how they're going to get in. But what you find out with the remote sentries is they are clever enough to try to find a new way because they're like, hey, we can't get past this because they just keep getting shot up. But what is it? Two of the guns run out of ammo. And then. Uh, there's that scene where Hicks picks up his pulse rifle with like 20 rounds left on one of the other guns. <laughs> and you're like, okay, Hicks, what are you going to do? Uh, but that scene is awesome. Like when you actually get to see it with the sentry guns and you're like, I didn't know they had sentry guns because they, they bring it up when they said that when they're collecting the stuff from the crash, where you're like, okay, so why don't they use those? And then you found out that they actually did. Yeah, it's... Uh, again, it's one of those things where <clears throat> seeing the theatrical the first time, I was like, wow, this is an amazing movie. I love this. I love everything about this. And then hearing years later, hey, there's a director's cut that's like 40 minutes longer. And you're like, what? Uh, and then tracking it down and be like, oh, my God. Like, and again, I'll say it again. They improved perfection. Like, it, it, it somehow gets even better. Yes. Yes, it does. The, and I have to, I will say, my favorite addition to the special edition is Hudson's ultimate badasses speech. Because I'm pretty sure that's not in the theatrical version. I'm sorry, I was getting scolded by my wife. What happened? <laughs> I said that Hudson Hudson's ultimate badasses speech yes! was my favorite part that got added. Oh um, and then that's that's such like that phrase ultimate badasses has become such a permanent part of like the lexicon of this movie. Um there's an expansion set to the board game I have of based on the aliens movie. It's literally called the Ultimate Badasses expansion set, where it just gives you more Marines and more stuff to play with. Uh, and it's again crazy to think that scene got cut. Yeah. Oh. And then, don't well, worry, me and my squad of Ultimate Badasses will protect you. Um, another one that I really liked that got added. I like I said, I have a whole list of extra scenes, but I won't hit on all of them. But it has to be 
the interaction between Hudson and Vasquez. Like, one, when they're kind of checking and, like, he gets something on his motion detector and it turns out to be, like, a mouse or, like, a gerbil in a cage. Yeah, yeah. And then later on, when they're talking about it has to be something that they haven't seen that's laying these eggs. And he's like, yeah, yeah, like an ant hive. And then Vasquez is like, bees, bees have hives. He's like, you know what I mean? It's got to be a big sucker, like a queen. (laughs) And those two scenes are are great because, A, they set up that, yeah, Hudson has had false positive hits on the motion tracker. So the scene later on where they're like, they can't be right. That's inside the wall. Like, it plants the seed of, okay, well, sometimes he doesn't, you know, he he reads it incorrectly or sometimes it's a false hit on the motion tracker. And then the whole discussion about what's laying the eggs sets up the scene of where we meet the queen at the end of the movie, which, you know, if you're a diehard fan of the first movie, you might already have that question rattling around in your head. But when you cut that scene out, the queen kind of comes out of nowhere. It's just like, oh, there's a big one. Oh, she lays the eggs. Okay, cool. Uh, like it kind of comes out of left field. But when you put that scene back into it, it's like, oh, okay. Like we're we're priming the audience to get their head in that space already. Um, yeah, it's just, it's. There are a few cuts where years later, a different cut of a movie will come out, and to me, it completely surplants the original where it's like that's the only version i watch from now on and the director's cut special edition whatever you want to call it of aliens is the the first example of that movie i only ever watch the director's cut of aliens because it is by far the superior version of that movie express elevator to hell going down hudson still that shit somebody wake up picks I got a bad feeling about this drop. You're always saying that for me. You always got a bad feeling about this drop. <laughs> and this has been Jay and John quote Aliens Theater. <laughs> Scotty, you still awake? You see the size of that goddamn chicken? <laughs> that's it. That's a reasonable reaction. <laughs> I have nothing to contribute to this discussion because I've only seen Aliens like maybe two or three times, and I don't think I've ever seen the director's cut, so I couldn't tell you the difference between them. Oh. It's good. I don't even... Well, actually, I can't actually make the statement I've never seen the director's cut, because I honestly don't know which versions I've watched. Well, if you've watched it with John... (laughs) Which I have not. Okay, then you've seen the theatrical, probably. Uh... I will say this. Uh, I had a really jarring experience a few years ago. Uh, I believe it was me and Travis, uh, friend of the show, Travis uh, Williams, went to go see the movie when it was Movie Tavern, maybe, was showing it as part of like their retro series. And that was the first time I had watched the theatrical cut in like probably two decades. Because uh, we came up to the scene uh, where they were, you know, we should have cut to Ripley in the the room with the uh, uh, learning about her daughter, and I was like, "Wait, they cut the? Oh uh, yeah, we're doing the, the theatrical cut, aren't we? Okay, okay." <laughs> like it was jarring for me. <laughs> or when they when they finish the um, the hearing and she stops Van Leeuwen, yeah, and, and it should cut to Hadley's Hope, but instead it cuts to her in her little apartment smoking a cigarette. Yep. And you're like, oh, it's this version. Never mind. 
<laughs> and again, it's still a great movie, but it's it's one of those where you know it, it, once you've seen how even better it can be, it's like why I ever go back. It's but, it's like walking down the street and instead of finding a one hundred dollar bill, you find a fifty dollar bill. You still found money on the street. You shouldn't be upset about it, but you kind of are in a way. <laughs> Scott, yes, your turn to talk for a while. Yay! I mean, I mean, what do you got? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, the, the show's still going. I, I dozed off there for a minute. I'm... This is a show. I thought we were just having a phone call. Was I supposed to be recording this? Oh shit! Oh, that's okay. Well, yeah, potato, tomato, <laughs> whatever. <clears throat> oh well, I don't know. Well, we were talking about. The idea of uh, director's cuts um, and alternate cuts, director's cuts, whatever, whatever you want to call them. Um, two, I'm, my, 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 the first thing I want to talk about is, is two movies. And I want to bring them up at the same time because they're, they're kind of linked together a little bit. So help me God if you say Star Trek the motion picture or the extended cut. Okay. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> you no, have fine. my word. I'm not going to say that. I was going to say Star Trek, the motion picture, the director's cut. Okay. I'm going to go take a nap for five hours and I'll be right back. (laughs) Well, so that one and also Star Trek two, the director's cut of Star Trek two, the wrath of Khan. I don't think Uh, I've seen that. I'm sorry. I don't think I've seen the director's cut of two. Well, so with, with the director's cut of two, there's, there's, there's lots of little things that are added and extended that, in, in, in my opinion, I mean, I, I can see why they cut them because there there's some that really aren't needed uh, in things like little things when, you know, uh, Carol Marcus is basically telling her crew to to uh, to pack their bags. They're leaving and everything before Reliant gets there and stuff. You don't really need that because you find out when Reliant gets there, you find out they've left, you know, so you don't need that. Um, uh Things like uh, the conversation between Chekhov and Carol Marcus uh, over subspace is extended. Uh, just little things like that. But there's a key scene in it that that I, I I really wish had been left in the theatrical cut. And this this the well sorry these two scenes is why um, I uh, I prefer the director's cut. So when you watch Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, after they get the first the first attack from the Reliant, when the Enterprise gets hit really bad because they get hit with their shields down. Um, after in the aftermath of that, Scotty comes. He he, he brings uh, the the body of a wounded uh, crewman who's a, a, a trainee because it was a trainee it was a trainee crew that was on the ship. It was just training crews. Uh, he brings him onto the bridge. Why he goes to the bridge and not sickbay, I still don't know. But if you don't know anything about the director's cut, you've never seen the director's cut, you're wondering why Scotty is bringing this one crewman, you know, why he takes it upon himself to bring in this crewman. So there's an extended scene, or uh, yeah, when Kurt comes aboard the Enterprise uh, and he talks to this this kid who is uh, midshipman Pressman. And you find out that he's Scotty's nephew. Uh, he's the youngest son of Scotty's sister. Um, 
and then later on, uh, you know, when he dies in sick bay, um, the the actor has he he dies with a close up. You know, the actor gets a close up, and then the theatrical cut. He does a re- it's it's a really great performance, and then the theatrical cut just just screws that just just cuts that close up completely, and it's 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 a it's, it's a wide shot of everybody, so you don't actually get to see his mm-hmm. performance or anything. Um, but yeah, so the director's cut of uh, Star Trek Two is is really good, and and I love that inclusion of that story arc. Um, as for the motion picture, uh, there's just I don't know. I, I I've seen the the extended cut of the motion picture so much that whenever I I, I see the theatrical cut, it's really interesting because the director's cut and the theatrical cut, there's not much difference in in running time because it's not only just new scenes added, but they actually take scenes out of the director's cut. There's scenes that are in the theatrical cut that aren't in the director's cut. They pull them out. Um, and some of them are really, really weird, like Kirk talking about an airplane at the, in the middle of the cloud and stuff. It's bad. But, yeah, you, you, you get these, these, these great you know, extended interactions among the crew. Um, and uh, you get extended shots uh, of, of Enterprise entering uh, V'ger's cloud, and you actually get to see V'ger's ship. Whereas in the theatrical cut, you don't. It's, it's very ambiguous what you're looking at. It's very hard to discern, but in the director's cut, there, there's some stuff. There's also some some really great matte paintings and stuff that have, that were changed for the theatrical cut and the 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 director's cut. They look a lot better, um, and you know, just 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 I don't know. I just love the director's cut better than the theatrical cut. I don't like it. <laughs> what? No, just, I like hearing you talk about tracks, Scott. <laughs> I know, and I'm the only one that's going to talk. No, I, I, I know this is very one-sided of me, so we don't have to dwell on it for long. No, I, hmm? I don't think I've seen the director's cut of either of those. I could be wrong. I, didn't we see the director's cut when we saw it in theaters together a couple years ago? No, we saw the theatrical cut. Well, then never mind that. Throw that right out. Uh, I will have to uh, give the director's cut of two a, uh, a look-see. Well, I've got I saw it. Star Trek. Tell me once. what you want to. <laughs> you saw Star Trek once, Jay? Is that what you said? Yeah, it had uh, Luke's Cloud Hopper. Yeah, and um, they they took the aluminum Falcon to yeah, Han um, Sulu. Yeah, uh-huh. that yeah yeah Han Sulu. He flew the, um, yeah. the interpreter. James C. Vader. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got you, buddy. I, I was there. <laughs> the interpreter. All right. uh, <laughs> so there's well scott reels with how wrong that was uh <laughs> there's one um uh, director's cut i have to talk about uh because it's the one that jumps to mind as soon as we talk about this subject uh as much as i love the the uh, extended cut director's cut whatever special edition of aliens um because with Aliens, I feel like it's you somehow improved on perfection. This next movie is sort of like, oh, you fixed it. Um, because it's it's a sequel, and it's following one of, if not, in my opinion, still the greatest superhero movie ever made, which is Richard Donner's Superman the Motion Picture from 1978, which to this day, uh, and I'll fucking fight you on this, it's one of like at least top five best superhero movies ever made. 
it was such a perfect combination of right director, right script, right actors at the right point in time. Uh, you cannot recreate this. Uh, but it was originally filmed, uh, parts one and part two were filmed simultaneously as one giant production. The plan was always, we'll make t- two at the same time, bank on the first one being a success, and then we'll already have the second one ready to go. That didn't quite turn out. Uh, things, as you can imagine, when you're inventing new special effects on the fly, uh, pun intended, uh, things went over time and over budget, and eventually the producers decided, okay, forget the second movie, focus on finishing the first film, and we'll get that out there, hope it's a hit, and we'll come back around to finishing the second one later. Well, by the time that happened, and the first movie came out, and thank God it was a huge success, things had broken down between Richard Donner and uh, the Salkinds, the producers. Uh, Ilya Salkind and his father, whose name I can't remember. Um, things had broken down so bad that they literally fired Richard Donner from finishing which was already, at that point, 70 to 75% in the can. They brought in a friend of theirs, a guy named Richard Lester, who directed the um, Three Sto- uh, three Stooges, Three Musketeers <laughs> and The Four Musketeers, uh, two movies these all kinds produced uh, that had big success. Um, so based on their prior success and prior working relationship, they brought Richard Lester in to finish Superman 2. Well, in order to give Richard Lester sole directing credit, he had to reshoot 75% of the film. So, the theatrical Superman 2, the entire sequence at the beginning where uh, Lois is in Paris and Superman rescues her from the Eiffel Tower, she's falling on an elevator, the entire sequence where they go to um, Niagara Falls for some fucking reason, uh, that's all reshoots. Um, And then they took footage that had already been shot by Donner and added to it. And Richard Lester's whole thing was he wanted it to have a more fun campy cartoony feel to it so you get a lot of campy cartoony shit years decades later 2006 um warner brothers uh, is riding this train of goodwill towards the character of superman um superman returns is about to come out in theaters they bankroll richard donner coming back to finish his unreleased version of superman 2 thus known as the Richard Donner cut. So he takes all the footage he'd already done and, you know, we color time it and correct it and, and make it look polished and ready for a theater. Uh, there's one scene where they ended up having to use uh, test screen footage uh, because obviously in 2006, we couldn't have certain actors coming back to reshoot their roles. Uh, so they used test screen footage to fill in a few gaps uh, so there's a few scenes where suddenly everyone looks different and they're wearing different costumes and their hair and makeup is different because, again, it was test screenings. Um, but if you watch the director's cut of Superman in the motion picture and then follow that up with the Donner cut of Superman 2, that is the closest thing we can get to the original intended version of these two movies uh, when they were being shot. And the the Donner cut of 2 is in every way, shape, and form, superior to the luster cut. Not just because the entire tone of the movie is different, uh, which is definitely part of it for me, but the whole thing of two is you introduce Zod and Ursa and Nan, the evil Kryptonians, who we 
if you watch the director's cut, we set up in the first movie, uh, and then they come back in the second movie. Well, okay, what's great about the Donner cut is they're an actual threat. There's literally a scene in the director's cut where you see Zod, uh, when they invade the White House, stealing an M16 from a National Guard soldier, looking at it for a second to figure out how does this thing work, and then mowing down a bunch of soldiers with an M16. <laughs> Uh, all the scenes when they're they're attacking the planet Houston, um, and and the, you know where the the jeeps just come up and start shooting at them and you know all that kind of stuff. If you watch the luster cut, uh, they kind of GI Joe'd it, where like you know they laser blast a jeep off the ground and then we cut away and then we cut back and you see like the guy driving the jeep gets up and runs away, like that kind of shit. Like hey, I'm still alive. It's okay. It's okay to have fun with this. I'm still alive. I'm gonna run away now. Um, yeah, that's all gone. Uh, people die. There's a body count. Uh, but what that does is it makes Zod and his followers a serious, serious threat. They're not comical. Uh, there's a, a few scenes early on where they have that kind of fish out of water thing where they don't really know what's going on. But after that, like, they're honestly, like, they're a threat. And you legit are like, man, I don't know. Can Superman stop three of them? Like, it, it 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 honestly raises the stakes for our hero. Um, which is not to say that it's not without lighter moments and humor and whatnot, but it it raises the stakes. It makes the villains feel like proper villains. Uh, it gives us much better scenes of things like Superman revealing his identity to Lois Lane. Um, we get rid of stupid shit like uh, when he's fighting the three of them in the Fortress of Solitude, and he does that weird thing where he grabs the S logo off his chest. And throws it at Nan, and it becomes this giant, like, saran wrap S logo that wraps them up. That everyone's like, the fuck did I just watch? Yeah, that's not in the Donner Cut. Surprise. Because <laughs> no one knows what the fuck that just was. Um, it, it, like that. Uh, it, is, it is a far, far superior version of this movie. And I think, again, if you've never seen them, I highly recommend go get track down the director's cut of the original film. Um, and then watch the Donner cut of two. Uh, oh, it also gets rid of the magical Superman memory forget kiss at the end of two. Because you know, he's revealed his identity to Lois and given up his powers and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of the movie, he, he gets his powers back. Spoiler. Uh, defeats the bad guys and then decides, oh, I probably shouldn't have told Lois about that. And then in the director, or sorry, the, the theatrical cut, he kisses Lois. And his magical Kryptonian kiss causes her to forget that she knows he's Superman. Uh, he does cause her to forget what she knows uh, that she knows he's Superman in the Donner cut, but it is a much more believable version or uh, reason for why. Uh, and I won't spoil that for you if you haven't seen it, but uh, it's not a magical Kryptonian kiss. Spoilers. Oh. Sorry, sorry. If you're a fan of the Kryptonian kiss and the uh, honeymoon suite in Niagara Falls, maybe not your movie. But uh, if you're a fan of good Superman, it is far superior. So, I love the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2. I love Superman, the motion picture. And it would be, they would be like the perfect duo if they would just take out the, the damn hey, let's fly around the planet and make it go backwards and reverse time. Shit. God, that's horrible. It gets horrible. a little iffy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not without flaws. 
but it's definitely a it's a and here's the thing richard donner came into this project with the the mindset of don't treat superman like he's kid stuff you've got to present this like it's you know mythology or it's it's uh you know slice of american pie like you've got to treat this with seriousness that's not to say you can't have fun with it and you can't you know have some jokes with it but if you don't present it to the audience in a real believable way they're not going to follow you they're not going to go with you when things get crazy and you know superman spins around the earth and turns time around backwards You've got to earn their trust. You've got to buy their trust. You've got to treat it seriously. And that was the thing, you know, from the time Richard Donner came on board, he he immediately ordered rewrites of the script because the script at that point was super jokey and had bullshit scenes where, like, Lex Luthor runs into Kojak on the street and <laughs> and they he hands him a sucker because they're both bald. Uh, and who loves you, Lexi? Uh, like, you know, shit like that in the script. And Richard Donner was like, no, you you got to treat this like it's a real source material. Like you're adapting a novel or something. You can't just treat it like, oh, it's stupid kid shit, so do whatever with it. No, like you, you've got to stick to this and, and treat it with some respect. And I feel like Richard Lester comes in and that goes right out the window. And if you don't believe me, look at Superman 3, which was completely start to finish directed by Richard Lester, uh, which does not take itself seriously for one goddamn second. So the Donner cut is like, oh, hey, imagine Superman 2 if it took itself seriously. I mean, we don't get the whole opening sequence where we see, you know, mechanical penguins on fire running down the street. Oh, isn't that three? No, that's two. Okay, no, that's gone then. Fuck that shit. Yeah, that's the the opening sequence too. Remember, there's this this whole weird... um, um, uh, a sequence of events, you know, like, you know, one thing leads to another, leads to another, and it's all happening around Clark as he's walking into work and, and, and ultimately like this, this, this outdoor vendor who's trying to sell these toy mechanical penguins, like yeah. there's an explosion near him. And one of them comes waddling up to Clark, you know, on fire and he picks it up and looks around and makes sure no one's looking and he blows it out. I don't, I don't know why we have to look around just to blow out a small fire. How people can do that. I don't know. Uh, I swear to God that that was part three, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was two. And might be, but it's gone in the in the daughter cut completely. Yes, thankfully. God. Yeah, I, look, Richard Lester does great, you know, with that slapstick kind of comedy, but that does not belong in Superman. So, good riddance in my opinion. Jay, we're back to you, buddy. Juicy size of that goddamn chicken. <clears throat> Sorry. No, Juicy size of that goddamn chicken. No, for the eight millionth time, we didn't see it. How big was it, Jay? It was huge, huge oh. chicken. Who's here to answer for once? Ah, uh, so my next pick is uh-huh. uh, not necessarily a director's cut because. The director actually kind of tosses this one to the side and says, this isn't the movie I made. Uh However, the person who did make the cut, when you actually watch this film with all these added things. My bad. What was that? (laughs) Something popped up on my phone and I completely forgot my... My 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 not ringtone volume was still turned up. 
Did you see the size of that goddamn chicken? (laughs) (laughs) You were saying, Jay? So anyway, uh, I actually stumbled across this when I wanted to watch a movie, and I put in a Blu-ray edition of it. Uh Started watching it and went, wait a minute. This isn't right. And then kept watching, and now it's a version that I actually enjoy. So... What I'm talking about is an already long movie made even longer. And it's not the one you're probably thinking of. The one I'm thinking of is Dances with Wolves. Oh. Uh, So, Dances with Wolves was directed by Kevin Costner, starring Kevin Costner. Uh, 19. He was, was he? Yeah. (laughs) Kevin Costner. Written by. (laughs) Or co-written by. Uh, so, uh, I was 1990 dancing. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're probably thinking, okay, what are you going to do to a movie that already won seven Academy Awards? Go for eight, go for eight. Uh, and it, (laughs) (laughs) including best picture and best director. Okay. So the theatrical release comes in at an eye watering 181 minutes. That's the theatrical release. Okay. This cut comes in at a whopping 234 minutes. Nice. Okay. I'm approaching Lonesome Dove territory here. Yes. Now, this, like I said, this cut was not done by Kevin Costner. It was done by his production partner, Jim Wilson. Ah. And so that's why Kevin Costner kind of writes it off. So what I found interesting about this cut of the movie is Dances with Wolves is already an amazing movie. And I know it won Academy Awards, and I know we all have differing opinions about like what wins awards and whatnot. But if you've seen Dances with Wolves, you can't really argue that it's not a great movie. Because it, it, to me, it's a great movie. I love this movie, as is. But there were always things in it that kind of didn't make sense to me. But I never thought about it because the story was really good. The visuals were really good. Everything else was really good. But what this cut does is it adds a lot to the characters, to storylines, to events in the film. That it just makes more sense when you watch the extended cut of it. Um, For instance, one thing that you don't really know. I mean, you understand, but you don't understand stands with a fist who I can't remember the actress. I forgot to look that up, but um, she eventually her and Kevin Costner's character eventually get married. But she, when he, when they first meet, she's out in the prairie by herself and has cut her wrist. And later it's explained that, her husband died, but it's never explained like what happened. So actually in the extended version, you find out that he was killed in a battle literally the day before Kevin Costner decided that he was going to go visit the Sioux nation. Um, it uh, extends the, the, the abandoned outpost So there's a lot of scenes of just some random soldier that you think is Kevin Costner when you see it the first time, but it's not. And he keeps standing out 
in the prairie with his like looking glass and what he's looking for is their relief for their their rations for their resupply and then there's a scene where he actually talks to the rest of the people at the outpost and says you know they've stolen our horses they've harassed us and you find out that it's actually the the Sioux people that have been harassing these soldiers and that's what's forced them to live in these caves um let's see what was another one that i made a note of um when kevin costner's so when when kevin costner's character refuses to sleep in the camp the the night before the buffalo hunt you're just kind of like oh he's not quite in yet but what you don't realize is the reason he can't sleep in the camp that night is because a war party found the hunters that killed all the buffalo and they killed the hunters and scalped them. So, like I, yeah, like I said, it just opens up so much of the story and it just really fleshes out a lot more of the story. And you're like, it makes so much more sense that you're like, yeah, if I was Kevin Costner, I probably wouldn't want to sleep in that camp either after they just celebrated literally murdering white people that you are one of them and it's just like all this stuff throws in there um to me it makes it more of an epic film than it already is i mean like i know it's already a pretty epic film but it just really opens it up fleshes out a lot more details uh kind of completes the story um one other thing that i forgot to make a note in my notes was uh the major at the major that sends him to the outpost. He's kind of crazy, but you don't see how crazy he, like, you know, he's crazy, but you don't actually see the depth of his crazy unless you watch the extended version. Then you're like, wow, this guy is batshit insane. So. Yeah, I don't anyway. think I've ever seen the extended cut of this. I'm, I'm going to have to see if I can find a copy of it. Uh, so I, if I, you, I want to watch it now. If you get it on Blu-ray, um, I think it, I don't know if I bought it on accident, but the Blu-ray Dances with Wolves I have is just the extended cut. Well, send that on down. <laughs> I will. <laughs> if I get a chance to visit sometime, I will happily bring it with me and you can borrow it and watch it because it is epically long, but it is good. A lot of extra stuff that you're like, okay. Anyway, I feel kind of like Scott did with uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. Apparently, I'm the only one that's seen it. So It's been a very long time since I watched that movie, but uh, I will have to give that version a track, like Scott said. Yeah. Coxie, what do you got? I like it. Well, actually, one of my favorite movies that uh, I always watch, uh, Director's Cut, um, uh, is uh, and this is actually we're gonna piggyback um, off of uh, um, there's only two of us, yeah. The, the docs pick there with Dances with Wolves, um, Young Guns, is, uh, no, no, not Young Guns. Sorry, uh, <laughs> this is a movie that I love. Uh, I, I don't know if the doc has seen it, I'm pretty sure. Uh, John, you've seen it. 
I think you like it. I can't remember because we haven't discussed it in a while. But the movie Gettysburg from 1993. Have you all seen this movie? I've heard of it, but I don't think I've actually seen it. Well, so this movie, this theatrical cluck, theatrical cluck, the theatrical cluck. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Did you see the size of that goddamn chicken? Yep, because it had a theatrical cluck. Anyway, the theatrical cut of this movie clocks in at 271 minutes. So it's about four and a half hours long. It's a long movie. It is a long movie. The extended cut, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know how much it adds. I think it adds like another 10 or 15 minutes out of this movie of, of just ex- extended scenes. Um, but I, I, I love it. Um, it just, it just fills out more of the battle that you don't get to see in, in the, 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 the theatrical cut. I mean, you know, you've got more scene. well, you've got actual scenes of, um, General Buford, uh, and his cavalry riding into Gettysburg because in the theatrical cut, he says, you know, we'll, we'll move the brigades into town. That'll make the good people happy, but you never actually see it in the extended cut. You see it, you see them coming into town and engaging with the townsfolk, um, going through uh, just lots of different things there. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember um, when uh, uh, Lee is uh, uh, waking up in the, in the morning, right when, when the, the Confederacy gets right the day, the day of the first, the first day of fighting, uh, the main body's not there yet, but uh, he's division is getting ready to encounter Buford's, um, one of my favorite scenes in this movie, um, is in, in the, in the, the director's cut is completely out of the theatrical cut is when general Reynolds, uh, arrives with the first Corps to, uh, to, to Gettysburg. And he checks in with Buford to, to, to find out what's going on. And, uh, um, you know, they, they have an exchange, and everything um and uh th- this entire scene of them together now th- there's one thing that i wish they had put in um uh that they didn't that really needed to be in this so in real life general reynolds he 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 grew up to be an officer that was his entire goal and and his life was trained from the time that he was old enough to, to go to West Point all the way through. He was of the old school. He was, you know, the the very epitome of an officer and a gentleman of the day. Um, and of course, Buford. Buford was uh, he was he was kind of a cowboy, you know, that uh, came up through the ranks. He was a cavalry officer. He, he didn't have any formal education, formal training, and you know, um, um. I lost my train of thought in, in the actual, you know, fight when they're having this briefing and everything, um, Reynolds says to Buford, uh, he, he says, uh, he says, uh, very well done, sir. We'll make a soldier of you yet, which, you know, coming from Reynolds was high praise and Buford, like he wrote about that in his memoirs. He did that just, he carried that for the rest of his life. Um, but in this one, you, you get that whole thing of, of him reporting to, to Reynolds. And then he basically, he says, very good. Now let's go surprise Harry Heath. So, 
you get a little bit of it, but you don't, you don't quite get the same essence of what you know historically actually happened in that fight. But I still love the extended scene. It's it's one of the best deleted scenes uh, in in that entire extended edition. Um, I, I just love it. But yeah, no, uh, this is one of my favorites. If, if you've never watched it, go watch it. Like right now. Right now. Right now. Like right now. Right now. Yeah, right now. We'll wait. Right. Right now. Right now. So just stop podcasting and go. No, no, we'll we'll keep podcasting. You go watch it. Oh, okay. Yeah, keep the volume down. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I don't know. This this is one of my favorites. You, the the extended scenes, the different uh, parts of the battle that you don't get to see with uh, uh, with the theatrical cut. Uh, I believe you actually get to see some of the fighting in the Peach Orchard, which is completely cut out of the theatrical cut. Um, uh, different stuff with uh, Major Fremantle, which is you know cut out. You don't get quite as much with him. I don't know. Uh, I just uh, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I'm, I'm uh, not good at this. I remember trying to watch this, and I think what happened was the version I had kept stopping up on me because I don't think I've ever finished it. Well, I know I've started it. I don't think I've ever finished it. I've got it on Blu-ray. Let's watch it. I'll have to start over with the director's cut. Fair enough. That's very good. Uh, I have too many on my list. What do I go with? All right. Jay brought it up. Let's stick with Kevin Costner. A movie that uh, I absolutely love and loved as a child. It was a big tentpole summer movie. Um, I did not discover until until years later that it uh, was widely regarded to be a huge flop, even though technically it made money. Um, Waterworld. Ooh. I fucking love this movie. Unironically, unapologetically love this movie. Um, Yeah, there's some stuff that doesn't quite make sense, but uh, I don't care. Look at the cool action scenes. Uh, it's got a great cast. It has an interesting premise. It's essentially Mad Max, but instead of a giant desert, everything's covered in water. It's like <laughs> the flip side of that coin. Um, but it has some interesting uh, ideas brought up in it, and uh, I enjoy it. That being said, there are no less than three different cuts of this movie available to watch. The one you've probably seen and probably familiar with is the theatric- U.S. theatrical edition. Uh, which is already kind of long, so I don't fault you for trying to track down an even longer version of the movie. Uh, However, there is also, uh, when the movie was making its debut on cable TV, they decided to cut it and do it in two parts. So it was a two-night event. And to do that, they stretched, they cut the movie in half, and then added in a bunch of deleted scenes to fill out each half of the movie to being about an hour and a half, two hours long. So they could make it a big full night event for two nights. Uh, but being it was on American cable, certain things had to get cut because of blood, gore, and nudity. Because America. Uh, so there is then a European cut of the TV cut of Waterworld. Uh, that cuts those things back into the film. So, to make a long story shorter, 
short or not short because I'm going to ramble. It's me. Uh, some fans got together and put together what is now known as the Ulysses Cut of Waterworld, which is basically a cobbled together version that has everything in the theatrical cut, uh, pretty much everything from the TV cut, and then the stuff that was cut from the American version because it was too raunchy or too violent or whatever. Um, this makes it a nearly four hour movie. Jesus. I don't think it needs to be that long. Uh, I got my, my Blu-ray set from, I believe it's Arrow Video, that has three different versions of the film. I immediately popped in the Ulysses cut to watch it, and I'm glad I watched it, just so I can say, yes, I've seen the Ulysses cut. Uh, I think somewhere in that mess is a really good two-and-a-half-hour movie. <laughs> Um, the problem with it is because it's a TV cut and it was meant to be watched over two nights, several scenes verbatim are repeated uh, because either they have vital information or it's a cool looking scene or whatever. But there's a lot of stuff that gets repeated, which is fine if you're watching it in two parts over two different nights. But when you sit down to watch the whole thing strung together, they stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, the pacing is kind of off. Uh, some of the scenes repeat information that you get later on down the road, and you're like, yeah, okay, we, we, we know this. Or it's information you've already gotten, it's just kind of hammering that in. And you're like, yeah, we got it, move on. Uh, but they're trying to pad out the runtime. <clears throat> so it's an interesting uh, experiment in essentially an assembly cut of a film, which is here's everything we shot cut together in order, um, and you can kind of see why certain things got cut and left to the wayside. However, it does add some really interesting ideas, such as uh, it's called the Ulysses cut because at the end of this version, Kevin Costner's character, who never has a name the entire film, is given a name. If you have a brain, you can probably guess what his name is. Uh, spoilers. It also reveals at the end of the film, uh, our heroes do finally find a dry land. Uh, and in the, the Ulysses cut, we find out that the only remaining source of dry land is actually uh, the peak of Mount Everest. Because it was the highest point at that, uh, uh, on Earth where water didn't cover it. Little nuggets like that that are kind of, oh, that's cool. It kind of flushes things out. And I know Scott's brain's already going off because well, nothing, yeah. nothing in Waterworld makes any sense uh, uh, sci scientologically, yeah. uh, scientifically. There we go. So if they're at that altitude on the sea, you know, at the peak of Mount Everest, why are they not freezing to death? Because of the thin atmosphere. How can they breathe? Uh, because the atmosphere suddenly got more it's, dense expanded. and expanded. Because of all the extra water. That doesn't make sense. No, Neither does water. Where did the water come from? The, the, the water rose. Yeah, the polar ice caps melted and the water rose and it covered everything. But Everest is really high, so it didn't get covered. I don't know yeah, if you're confused. But I don't think even if the polar ice caps completely melted, I still don't think the water level would rise to the peak of Everest. Yeah. The, if not, all not polar... the peak, there's a lot left. If all the polar ice caps melted, the sea levels around the world would only rise like 216 feet. Yeah. <clears throat> Point being, it's fucking water world. <laughs> if you're overthinking too much, you're not going to have a good time. Uh, but it, it, it's uh, it's an interesting cut. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend it. If you've only ever seen the theatrical and maybe it's been a while since you've watched it, check this version out. Um, but I think again, 
I would love to see uh, an even further fan edit where you take, because there's a lot of good stuff throughout this. Um, take the cream of the crop and and cut together. Like I said, there's, there's a really good like two-hour movie, two-and-a-half-hour movie, somewhere in this mess of a, a almost four-hour film that it is when you screen together the Ulysses cut. Um, but there you go. Wow. Yeah. Four hours of Waterworld. I'm not sure I could handle it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I could sit through that. Because I remember having the same thought when I saw the theatrical cut. Um, when it's revealed that you know he he has gills and you know well I think it's before he's revealed he has gills. But remember he dives down to New York City. That's later in the film after you find out he has gills. Okay, I couldn't remember. I've only seen the movie like once, but. Um, yeah, when he dived down into New York City, I'm like, wait a minute. He was, like, really high up there above New York City. How is he alive? Shouldn't he be freezing to death up there? Yeah. Next, you're going to tell me a 1995-era laptop couldn't hack into a computer mothership and that Independence Day is a bad movie. Um, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I don't have yeah. a basis for comparison for alien uh, technology. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as far as we know, the, the the alien mothership could have been just using a Unix-based system. Uh, it was Windows ninety five compatible. That's good enough. Dude, you're getting a Dell. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. Oh well, I don't know. Jay, back to you, buddy. Well, I only have one left, really. Um, and it's not even. To be fair, this isn't even like a director's cut, extended edition, special edition. This one is literally the ending got changed. Okay. And I prefer the changed ending. So okay. the, movie, the movie I'm talking about is I Am Legend. Uh-oh. Directed by Francis Lawrence from 2007, starring Will Smith. Um, If you haven't seen the movie, you know... Uh, a doctor comes up with a cure for cancer using a virus, which then infects almost the entire population of the world, turning them into sort of zombie vampire type things. Um, and it also affects animals, but the airborne version affects people, but not dogs Dogs are only affected if they're bitten. But anyway. So it's 101 minute runtime that I looked up. So the only thing that is really changed in this movie is the ending. So the original ending did not test well with audiences. And uh, they changed it. So they reshot an ending where Will Smith's character sacrifices himself because his home is under attack because he's trying to find a cure and he's trying to cure all these vampire zombie things of their disease and he is immune to it so he's using his blood and doing different iterations of his blood and testing all these things to see which ones work, which ones don't work. Uh and the entire movie, there's all these flashbacks to his family. And his daughter's always talking about butterflies. And you're like, okay, that's cute. 
And then he just blows himself up. And you're like, all right. Well, I saw the one with the alternate ending where he sees a butterfly in, like, the broken glass of the... Or is that the original ending? Yeah, I get him confused sometimes. The point is that what he comes to realize is that he is actually the monster. So this is the new status quo of the world that all these people have been turned into zombie vampire things. And he is the minority because most of the world was infected by this and is not immune to it. He is. So he now becomes the minority. But he's been spending all this time capturing and eventually killing through trial and error because he's trying to test for to get a vaccine, killing these creatures. And that's how the title of the movie came to be. He is legend. He's the legend. That's the point of the title of the movie, I Am Legend. So basically, by giving the customers what they wanted, so the people, the audience viewing this movie, by changing the ending, they actually changed the meaning of the title and completely changed the entire idea behind it. Blowing himself up is the director's cut. Is the it? theatrical cut? He, he, he still dies. But we get a, a coda tagged on where the uh, lady and the little kid that find him uh, drive somewhere and find a walled-off quarantine area where humans were surviving, and he's given them his cure. Uh, and, and they have a shitty line about, we are his legend, because we'll live on past him. Both endings are fucking bullshit because that is one of the greatest short stories ever written. I Am Legend by uh, Richard Matheson. And Hollywood repeatedly fucks it up. Uh, There was an okay version with uh, um, uh, Vincent Price in like the 60s that was super low budget but kind of stuck true to the story. There was Omega Man with Charlton Heston, which could give a fuck all about its source material. And then there's this movie, which steals the title but wimps out at the fucking ending. Because they all missed the point. Which you, you described the point beautifully, Jay. Because in the book, what happens is, uh, first of all, they're not weird monster zombie things. They're flat-out vampires. Uh, good old-fashioned, stay through the heart, don't like garlic, vampires. Uh, which every movie version has changed. And then, he, he, like you said, he goes out in the daytime, and kidnaps them and try to, tries to find a way to, to, to cure them and to, to try to get people better. Uh, or, or he just goes out and tries to exterminate them if they get too close to him. And at the end, uh, without spoiling the short story at all, or trying not to anyway, he gets captured by them, he gets imprisoned by them, and they're about to execute him. And he realizes through this whole, they captured me and now they're holding me prisoner and I'm about to be executed, that there's an entire, they, they have created an entire society. There's a hierarchy. People have jobs. Uh, like there, there, there's an entire uh, sophisticated, intelligent society of these people, and I am the outsider. Like you said, Jay, he's he's the boogeyman that they warn their kids about at night now. And both versions of that movie kind of cop out when it comes to to nailing that ending. But the director's version at least attempts to. Where the theatrical cut is, we want a happy ending. Okay, here we go. No, he. 
there is no one of the there is a version of the ending where he lives he comes to the realization that he is the evil and then takes the cure and drives with the the woman and the little boy right but his realization isn't that it's not that he's the monster it's that that they're not monsters that I looked at them as being less than human, and they do have the. They're they're trying to break into his house because he kidnapped a female that this one's in love with, and he's trying to rescue her back. It's a realization of oh, they do have like, they there is still something of a personality or a soul or whatever left in them. It's not a realization of oh, I've become a monster. It's a realization that oh, they're not monsters. It still fucks it up. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't seen this movie because yeah. I found out what happened to the dog, and I refuse to watch this movie now. Oh, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, that's why I'm not going to watch it. Um, but Sorry, Harkening, I knocked my headphone. <laughs> going back to the, the short story, so they're vampires, like straight-up blood-sucking vampires, right? Yeah. But everybody on the planet is a vampire except for him. As far, well, here's, here's what's great about the short story. He's just a regular guy. He's yeah. not a scientist. He doesn't work for the military or the government. He's just a guy. Yeah. And this whole thing happens, and he's somehow immune to it, and yeah. he doesn't quite understand why. Yeah. Uh, so as far as he knows, yes, the whole world's taken over. And it's it's him trying to eke out a living and survive, while at the same yeah. time trying to educate himself about, okay, why does garlic drive them off? What causes this change? It, it, literally, he's going through books, because you know the internet didn't exist. Uh, he's going to like the encyclopedia and shit, trying to educate himself and trying to figure understand what happened because he has no fucking idea what happened. But uh, if everyone's vampires, what do they eat? I don't know, Scott. I mean, if if there's no food source left for them, how, how do they survive? I don't know, Scott. Ask Richard Matheson. Okay. See, it's the same thing I have with with the whole Twilight shit. You know, I mean, so they're vampires, but they can go out during the day. So she's she's taken out their their one weakness. So why don't they rule the world? I I don't get it. I'm not going down that that rabbit hole with you on this episode. Um, That's fine. That's fine. But I don't know. Maybe they're and I haven't read the book in a while. Maybe they're trying to capture him so they can feed on his blood, but not kill him. I don't know. One one person to feed the entire population of the planet? I don't know, Scott. I didn't write it. Seems a bit of a stretch. (laughs) Just telling you, every movie has fucked this book up. Okay. Well, people should read more. Yes, they should, and it's awesome. Uh, But I totally, I totally what you're coming from, Jay. Is is (laughs) one ending is very much a non-traditional, atypical, like, this is kind of the crux of the story ending, and the other one, as you can definitely tell, oh, this is the post we screen it for viewers, and they like the happy ending. Ending. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, it doesn't even attempt to pay off the name or have any kind of resolution. It's just, oh, he dies, and that's sad. We don't like that. Okay, he's alive now. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's my last one. Uh, Truth that book is also the basis for Night of the Living Dead and Omega Man. 
think there's another movie that 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 basically adapted it without paying royalty rights, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, but uh, very well worn territory, but they always screw it up. I don't know. Nah, where are we at, Commander Scott? Okay. Well, what I wanted to talk about just briefly is a director's cut, sort of, that just came out here recently. And I picked it up and I watched it. And most of it I liked. They mostly come at night. But mostly. <laughs> They, they, they changed the ending, and I don't like the new ending at all. Okay. So, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's the movie that now has, I think, is in a contender for the longest title of a movie ever. Um, Mario Puzo's The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. So I like the Godfather trilogy. I like the book. Unlike most people, I do like the third movie. Once again, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not saying it's as good as The Godfather or The Godfather 2 because they're not the same thing. Godfather and Godfather 2 awesome. I do like the third one, though. I don't hate it. But apparently, I guess... Um, um, what's his name? Francis Ford Coppola went back and wanted to re-edit the film. Because I guess the, the theatrical cut didn't isn't what he and Mario Puzo had originally intended for this movie. And so the recut, I think, is good, in my opinion, for, for the most part. Because it, it, it switches some scenes around, the movie starts in a different place, uh, and, and the story flows better in, in this version. And the other one, it kind of hops around a, a, a bit, and you, you kind of get lost on... What what acts are precipitating what? But the thing that pisses me off about this is it, the new title of it is The Death of Michael Corleone. And literally at the end of the film, in the theatrical cut, you see Michael Corleone all alone as an old man. And you know he falls out of his chair. He dies of old age. He dies alone. Which I love Vito. that ending. Vito Corleone. Huh? Right? No, no. Michael. At the end of The Godfather Part 3, Michael Corleone oh, is sitting alone in a chair in Italy as an old, old man. And he, it, it's a, it cuts to a wide shot, and there's this little dog around him because he's playing with the dog, and he, he dies and falls out of the chair. Okay. Now, Vito did die in a similar man, manner, but that was at the house. Remember, he, he didn't die falling out of the chair. He, he was chasing the, the girl, or the little girl, around... You know, with the orange in his mouth and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he fell down and he 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 collapsed in the uh, uh, the clothesline. But this movie completely cuts that out. It's gone. That entire ending is gone. So now we 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 have you know the death of uh, Michael's daughter there at the uh, the the thing and and everything. And it literally it cuts to black there and it comes up with this weird Sicilian adage or I don't know parable or something it's really freaky and then that's the end of the movie so the movie is retitled The Death of Michael Corleone 
And the one thing we cut from the movie is the death of Michael Corleone. That just pisses me off. Makes total sense. Definitely the rest of false the advertising rest of the that I like. There. Sorry, say again. Definitely some false advertising going on there. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I'm in the minority on, on The Godfather Part 3. Everyone hates it, and I don't know why they hate it. I mean, it's, it's an okay movie. It's not the worst movie ever made, but there's parts um, of it I like. I like the story. We spend entirely too much time on a storyline about two cousins trying to fuck each other. Once again, in, in this cut, that takes more of a side note. It, it's not as... It, the scenes are still there, but the, the resequencing... Of of the the events because the scenes aren't in the same order as they are in the theatrical version. I think it takes more of a backseat to it. Coppola cast his own daughter after um, Winona Ryder had to drop out, and she can't act her way out of a paper bag. Okay, well, you know what? I got the only thing I got to say about that is you know, live fucking Tyler. All right, the woman can't act for shit in all the movies. <laughs> you said you don't know why people don't like it. I'm just giving you some reasons why people don't like Godfather Part Three. Yeah. Plus, I mean, she's not really. I don't know. I, I, when I watch the movie, I see Michael Corleone, I see Al Neary, I see, um, uh, fuck, I can't remember his sister's name. Yeah, exactly. Um, All the interesting characters are already dead. So, huh? Sonny's dead. His dad's dead. Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. Like all the cool characters are dead by the time you get to part three. But that's in the first movie. They're dead. Okay, they're all dead. dead. Can I go now? (laughs) Thank you, Jack. (laughs) Anyway. Sorry, every time that something comes up, I just think of an aliens quote that I can try to sneak in. So, is it worth giving a watch? Other than <laughs> they've removed the, the titular death, I, I think so. Okay, I personally think it's 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 worth a watch because, like I said, the the restructuring, the re edit of the movie, there's there's no real. Like deleted scenes or anything, and it's it's literally just a recut of of the movie. Um, but I, I think the recut of the movie makes it work at least a little better. Okay. They did they cut out Sofia Coppola? <laughs> no. Oh. Okay. Once again, Liv Tyler I mean, is a better actress, actor, Sophia than, than Sofia Coppola. No. There's a reason she directs now instead of acts. No. No. Liv Tyler should stop acting too. <laughs> oh, uh, the cheetah patrols the sand. Get sorry, <laughs> Armageddon. No, all right, just me. There's uh, one I want to give a shout out to because I have not watched it yet, so I couldn't put it on my list. But I want to give it an honorable mention. Um, we're all fans of Lord of the Rings here, right? And I think all of us would recommend the extended cut over the theatrical cut. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Jay? Um, sure. <laughs> that was convincing. We'll table I've that never seen the extended cut. I, see, I knew he was about to say that, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole right now, but what the hell's wrong with you, Jay? Gosh. Clear uh, 12 hours and watch them. It's not that okay. hard. It's only half a day. Uh, so, 
The Hobbit films, uh, not as well received as Lord of the Rings for various reasons we don't have time to go into today. Uh, but one of them being The Hobbit is a fairly short story and they stretched it into three two plus hour movies. Uh, by throwing a lot of stuff in that either came from the appendices or shit they literally just made up off the top of their heads. Um, and it came away feeling kind of bloated. So there is a fan edit uh, that I've got to cut, track down a copy of. Uh, it's called The Hobbit, The Tolkien Edit, uh, which takes all three films in their extended cuts and whittles them down to a brisk four hours. Uh, that cuts out things like Tariel, uh, Radagast, the White Council. It reduces Legolas to a brief cameo. Uh, basically gets back to what's in the Hobbit novel uh, and, and cuts out all the fat. Um, I am very, very curious to see this version of the film uh, because I do, as much as well, Lord of the Rings, and I appreciate the Hobbit for what it tried to be, and I understand the reasons behind uh, the nightmare that was the making of that film. I still think with everything we shot and everything that's on film, somewhere in that mess is a good movie. Uh, and I'm curious to see if this film could can bring that out. Uh, but once again, it's The Hobbit, the Tolkien edit. But I haven't seen it, so it's not on my official list. Well, something that with, with The Hobbit, because I, I watch the extended cuts of both Lord of the Rings and The Hobbits every Christmas season, or at least I try to. Um, and yeah, I, I like what, I like what they tried to do with the movies, you know, because they're, they're trying to give us all this extra, they're trying to, 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 to fill out the lore, you know, and, and, and show us stuff that happened to the rise, you know, how Sauron comes back in the world, uh, and everything. Of course, none of that's in the actual Hobbit, but also if, if you, if you whittle down everything to just what's in the Hobbit, then there's a lot of stuff that's going to get, I don't know, maybe not a lot of stuff, but there's there's a, there's a lot of great scenes that you're never going to see because, like, the entire Battle of Five Armies, you should never see that because Bilbo should be, you know, unconscious on a hill someplace during the entire fight because he wakes up, like, two days later and stumbles into Erebor. And everyone's like, oh, hey, you're alive. We thought you were dead. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would like just whittling everything down to just what's in the Hobbit. Well, okay. L- let me rephrase. Anything that isn't in the Hobbit is essentially cut or reduced. So the battle probably still happens. I'm assuming they still give Bard the Bowman some kind of backstory, where he doesn't just come out of nowhere and slays Sauron. Or, uh, um, oh my God, uh, Smaug, uh, and then and then like fucks off again because in the book he's literally just pops up, kills the dragon, leaves again. Yep. Um, so uh, within the Hobbit, there are logical areas to expand the story, um, like you know the, the dwarves attempting to kill Smog before he gets loose and attacks the town. Things, you know, there, there's logical areas to, to kind of expand the story. We did need a a elf dwarf love triangle. We did not need that. I'll agree with you 100. percent As much as uh, Whitney loves him, and I better say this quietly so she doesn't hear me, anything to do with Radagast the Brown did not need to be there. See, uh, as I much as I love Brown. Hey, no, look, that's fine that you love him, but just like Tom Bombadil, he serves no fucking purpose. Um, other than to give Gandalf a new stick in the third act. Um, 
So there's a lot of uh, things where they were trying to expand the story and it didn't necessarily need to be there. There are some areas where it logically makes sense to, again, turning Bard into an actual fleshed out character or things like that, um, which is why I'm curious to see the cut. Because uh, so I, I don't know what is and isn't there. But still think within that huge mess of a movie, there's a, re- a, a singular really good movie somewhere in those three films. I think all three films are worth sitting through just to get to Billy Connolly. <laughs> See, again, logically, something you could expand on. Introduce that character before he shows up in the third act of the third movie and becomes king. <sighs> he doesn't show up in the third act and becomes king. He was already king. He, he was he, a king. He, he becomes king under the mountain at the end he of does the not, film. Yeah, yeah, he did not become king, of the, uh, king under the mountain, but... There was no king under the mountain until um, Thorin retakes the, the the throne. Right, and for someone who plays that important of a role, wouldn't it have been nice to meet him in one of the other two previous three-hour movies? Oh, I would have loved to have seen just an entire movie of yeah. Billy Connolly as that exactly. character. Exactly. <laughs> there are areas where... So so that, yeah, we could, we could get in as well. But uh, I th- again, I think there are logical areas to expand the story and flesh out characters in, in The Hobbit from what Tolkien had in there. And I think there are some things that just like Peter Jackson was out of ideas and uh, give Radagast a sled pulled by rabbits. Also to be fair, Peter Jackson did get pulled into this kind of last minute. See, I said, I wasn't going to go down this road, but yes, you're right. He had no intention of ever directing it. Guillermo del Toro spent two years in pre-production and then had to leave the project. Uh, no, the whole making of this, these movies are a hot fucking mess. Um, but, there's a good movie in there somewhere. It's a point I'm trying to make. Before we, I again. wouldn't mind to watch the the Tolkien edit too. So, I'll have to find it somewhere. Uh, so, before we jump off, anyone else have any honorable mentions you want to toss out for extended cuts of movies? I do. Okay, what you got? A million ways to die in the West. Was the there unrated version in, of in that. Ways? Oh, okay. The the unrated version of that is fucking hilarious. It's just it just adds gore and raunchiness and stuff. Like you know, it, it the one that kills me is right at the beginning after he gets shot in the toe and he goes to see the doctor. And the doctor's like in the middle of surgery. Like literally, his blood is up to his elbows. He's got this guy's intestines just kind of like hanging out and everything. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. I can I can come back later if you're busy. Oh, no, no, he'll keep it. He kind of pats him. <laughs> and he's wiping off his hands, and he walks in, leaves the guy on the table, and the cat jumps up and steals part of the guy's intestines. Funny shit. But it's just like that the whole way through. Yeah, if you're going to watch that movie, watch the uh, the unrated version. It's, it's, it's infinitely more funny. Uh, I'm shocked nobody brought up Blade Runner. Blade Runner, there's a whole show just for Blade Runner and the different cuts. <laughs> it's on my list, but uh, yeah, like Scott said, that's a, that's a four-hour discussion. Right. For the at least four officially recognized cuts of that movie. We'll have to say, though, as much as I didn't think it was possible, the sequel was damn good. Uh, yeah. Uh, to steal Koron's line, it was way better than it had any right to be. Yep. That is very true. I also had uh, 
Alien 3, the quote-unquote director's cut, which is oh, not yeah. really yeah. a director's cut because it's the assembly print the director was trying to make that the studio locked him out of the editing room and refused to let him touch. And then fast forward 20 years later when the director um, is now big and famous and they want to put out a box set and they try to get him to come back and finish it. And he's like, fuck you guys. So they just cleaned up the, <laughs> the assembly cut he made and called it a director's cut. Um, and then the Watchmen has a few different cuts. Uh, there's the theatrical, the directors and the ultimate cut. I actually recommend the directors over the ultimate cut. Um Director's cut adds in a few cool scenes and flushes out a few characters. The ultimate cuts uh, tries to be verbatim the comic book and has all the animated sequences for the Black Freighter cut in. And while it's awesome that they went through that level of of detail and and you know commissioned the studio to animate those sequences and um, they just don't work. They uh, they they they're too jarring. They take you right out of the movie every time we. It's sort of like, and we now pause our movie in progress to bring you this animated short. And now back to our movie. Uh, just you know, it, It's one thing when it's a comic book cutting between a, a comic book and a comic within a comic. It's another when we jump from a live action film to animated sequences every like 20, 30 minutes. It's, it, 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 I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, but props for trying it. Yeah, I, I personally, I, I was completely happy with and I, I love the just the theatrical cut of Watchmen um, I I personally love the change they made to the end to get rid of the whole giant squid thing and just made uh, Dr. Manhattan the villain I like, agree the, the imaginary villain uh-huh. yeah the, the director's cut I appreciate the director's cut because it gives a lot more backstory and a proper exit to the original Night Owl um mm. and it flushes out some of the the older generation of heroes stuff a little bit it's not the director's cut is not crazy longer than theatrical uh it's the ultimate cut where it gets just like crazy like it's an hour and a half longer or something like that but uh there you go so all righty Turner. all right anything else from anybody are we done is that it that's it I think we're done all right i think we're stuck i think we're stuck so uh with that let us know uh, what are your favorite alternate versions of movies whether it's a director's cut a unrated version a fan edit whatever um and we didn't really quite get to i see why they cut that so maybe we can do that later but uh let us know what do you think of our list anything to add to it and uh what did you think of the snyder cut because by the time this goes live you'll be able to watch it on hbo max not that we're shilling for hbo max but if they want to pay us to, we will. Uh, we will sell out for HBO Max or hashtag shill for shutter. We will still do that. So thanks for listening. Thank you guys for being here and putting up with me. Uh, and until next week, this has been your nerd alert.